Hello, welcome to Jalo of the Month Club. This is Diana. On this episode, we will discuss Dario Argento's Deep Red, also known as Profondo Rosso, also known as The Hatchet Murders. This Italian Jalo film includes folklore, Oedipus, and Freudian imagery and gender stereotypes. This film from 1975 is often cited by many critics as the best Jalo ever made. Deep Red put Argento on the map and inspired a number of other directors to work in the genre. Joining me for the third time is podcaster, musician, and filmmaker, Wade Brown. Cue the applause. I'm back. I'm back. Uh, Happy Halloween. Yeah. Happy October. Thank you for having me back for another Argento uh, joint. I know. I said I wasn't going to do another Argento, but Claudio Simonetti is coming to town playing the score. So I'm like, well, what better time to review this film? Yeah, exactly. I'm excited for this one because I actually have not watched Deep Red in gotta be 10 years. Same. It's been a while since I watched it. Yeah. And I'll say this. I back then thought it was good. And uh, I won't tell you how I feel about it now till later. In a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have thoughts. I have things to say. So since we just watched Tenebrae, that one was really fresh in my mind. And then, like I said, Goblin is coming to town playing the live score from this. So I just thought it would be really good just to kind of get in there, watch this, because I'm sure the show is going to be really all-encompassing images and distracting. And, so, And we saw them a couple, what, a year or two ago? Yeah, they're actually doing the live score, so they'll be playing the film. Oh, okay. All of the music will be cut out of the film, and then they will play over oh. top of that, and then they're going to do an additional set. That sounds really cool. I heard they did that for uh, Killer Clowns from the Outer Space with a live orchestra. I'm like, a weird choice, but anyway. To summarize the plot, a jazz pianist and a wise-cracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the jazz pianist witnesses a murder of a psychic. <sighs> a lot of crazy jobs right there. Yes pianist a journalist a psychic argento never has like construction worker oh no they just it's always got to be a receptionist fancy. there's never a receptionist yeah. or <laughs> it's always a, a dentist i mean there's in this movie there, there is a normal job there is trash men and a dump truck. <laughs> okay. so there are normal people because he always has these stylized like things the no- most normal job is like doctor or a news reporter so there are normal people but i noticed all the extras (laughs) all the extras just stood there did you notice that there was a scene where the the one the diner like when he's when he's carlo and i I think is that on purpose that they're trying to like that diner painting i can't Mm -hmm. figure i can't figure out what it's called that's on purpose but there is other scenes where it's actual humans just standing there, not talking to anyone, just kind of standing there twiddling their thumbs, but there's like five of them in the background. Yeah. Funny. Extra. Like, who thought of that? On the cast here, we have David Hemmings as Marcus Daly. He is the musician. Great hair. Daria Nicolotti, who was in Tenebrae. Yes. Great scream at the end. Very connected. You remember to, that. Very connected to Dario Argento. His baby mama. Collaborate. They collaborate on film. Life. She's in Inferno as well. Daria plays Gianna in this one. She is that wisecracking journalist. That's gotta be weird that his name is Dario and her name is Daria. Their daughter should have been named Dara. Dario. 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 I just said Dara. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have other characters like Helga. That's the psychic who. Oh, there will be spoilers. 
That is the psychic that has a very early demise in this film. She's on a lot of the cover art, too. She has that really symmetrical bob, the blonde bob. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have Carlo, who is friends with Marcus, and we have Carlo's mom, Martha. We also have Professor Giordani. He looks like Donald Sutherland. Yeah, he's the he's the guy that's definitely in the 70s. He's the hippie. I just thought he was, like, serious. I guess because I'm so used to, like, Donald Sutherland kind of being serious. Yeah. I just couldn't get that out of my mind. Yeah. When I watch these movies from the 70s, I end up just recasting for a remake. Marcus is Michael Sheen. Ooh. Uh, are, are we casting now or back in the day? Like now. Okay. Like a 2019 say, remake. I was about to say, you know who would be a good Marcus? In the in Creep Show, the... God, I forget his name. The guy with the... It was the box story. And he had that overbearing wife and he sent her into the... He reminds me of that guy a little bit. I watched this one on Prime Video, but it is also available on Shudder. The original working title for this film was The Sabretooth Tiger. Dario originally wanted this to be part of his animal trilogy, which is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Keep it a trilogy, Dario. And he didn't. I don't know why I'm telling this. <laughs> I'm hoping my back. words can time travel <laughs> all the way to 1973 when he probably thought about doing this. I mean, I'm glad that they just kept that a trilogy. And Sabertooth? It, the Sabertooth Tiger. I don't like that one. No, don't get it with this the movie. I don't like it for this one. Dario Argento picked this city in Italy because at the time, there were more practicing Satanists there than any other European city. Myrtle. Very metal. <laughs> I love the exterior shots of this one. The courtyard scene where they're next to the statue, then they're next to that diner art installation. I yeah. love that. If there's anything to take away from the movie that I, from when I remember watching it years ago, the courtyard was one of the things that I remember the one of the most. Of course, the doll and you know the twist. You'll remember those, but you'll definitely remember that courtyard for some reason. It was so empty that there was no one like. You used to do, like, the extras, like, we were talking about the extras, they're like, there's not many pedestrians around. It's kind of empty and well, weird. Well, I think it's supposed to be late at night, especially. No, it's in, in the entire movie, aside from the conference in the beginning, mm -hmm. it's kind of quiet. I thought this movie had a lot of interesting cinematography. I really like that panning shot that they do over top of the toys and the weapons, and they kind of just pan across it really slowly. Yeah, it's magical. Uh, the cinematography is by Luigi Cuvelier. This is, I'm just going to say it, Argento has a lot of great lighting and atmosphere in his films, but I think Deep Red is his best shot film. It's it's always moved. The camera's always moving. It's always yeah. creepy on you. Even from that opening, like the, the conference thing. That conference can be really boring. Yeah. But you know, you have the I love the red in that shot yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. The red was really great. You have that slow zoom on them. It popped. And then then like at the end of the scene, it zooms out, and then the, the curtains mm -hmm. hit, and then you go into a dirty, dingy bathroom. It's really well shot. Like I said, the uh, the kind of the traveling shot of all the little knickknacks of the killer, mm -hmm. including there was a nice little cool thing like, that there was like a baby doll and a devil doll. So it's like this <laughs> cool dichotomy of like good and evil. Yeah. Simple things, and then the, the close up of the eye and the makeup on it. The way that he pans forces you into the perspective of a single person. Yes. And it makes you feel isolated and trapped. 
it makes you antsy because you're wondering, am I in the perspective of the killer? Am I in the perspective of someone that's about to be killed? I thought that the scene with Marcus at the piano where he hears someone on the roof and then he realizes someone else is in my apartment. Yeah. That was definitely intense. It made me really anxious because I had been so long since I saw it. I couldn't remember what happened in that scene. Yeah, like there's so many like just shot choices. Like the shot of like when he he goes to the mystery of the drywall and then just stay on that shot of the drywall. And you're like, you hear uh, Marcus and Gianna in the background. No, it was Marcus and someone else. I don't think it was Gianna in the background. And... You just, see, you just see that drywall, and then that last piece falls. Mm-hmm. And they, they stay on that shot, and it's so... The shots are really good, and the fact that the cinematography is really good makes the effects look better. I mean, of course, when Helga... We'll talk about the kill. When Helga <laughs> hits through the mirror, the, the, the glass, it looks like a mannequin. Yeah. But, like, with the knife into the back of the guy's neck, mm-hmm. that looks really good because of the cinematography... Well, and they did that POV shot, which was really interesting. Just in general, the POV, and also the editing is really nice in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's only one weird edit choice. Well, it's really brisk, but also the version that we watched is 20 minutes shorter than, (laughs) like, 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 the European version. uh, We'll get into the story and all that. When they have, like, the flashback near the end, and then just Mm -hmm. cuts immediately to an action, uh, like a a knife hitting the, the, the painting or whatever... It was like, that's such crisp. It, it keeps you on your toes a little bit. There's only one shot that's weird. When Professor, we'll, we'll call him Dr. Don, because Don Sullivan. Donald Sutherland. So Dr. Don, uh, he's calling Marcus, and Marcus is in his car. And so when, he's, when you hear the ring, Marcus is on his car. So it's showing that Marcus is not at the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nice little cool idea. Then he hangs up the phone, fade to black, just to go to a scene of him getting up from the desk at a different angle. Yeah. I don't understand the fade to black idea. I don't well, get it. Well, I haven't seen the European cut, and if I have, it's been years. The explanation of that could be there was a scene there that just ended up getting cut. Yeah. I know that in the U.S. cut, it was animal abuse, their relationship, some of the more gory parts. Um, more, some of the more <sighs> romantic parts between um, Jana and Marcus were cut out. So it's possible he was driving to her house and there no, was it's, a... It's a, more weird because it, it cut... It fade to black in Don's office. Mm-hmm. Just the cut to a scene in Don's office. Right. It was kind of weird. Just cut to mm-hmm. a different angle. I don't know. It was a weird edit choice, but I thought... And of course, this is a classic Dario Argento film where... The ending is just abrupt and just ends, and you're like, what? <clears throat> like, this one is the pull of red, and Tenebrae, it's the scream. It just immediately ends, and you get credits. Like, whoa, you don't, you don't, they don't, he doesn't, like, ease into the credits. It just, boom. Yeah, he frame. loves, I noted that as well, that sh- those sharp cuts. He Tenebrae ended on the scream, <laughs> yeah. and then this one just ends on a decapitation? Or no, a pool it, of it, blood? It ends on a pool of blood, yeah. and you're just like, Oh, I guess that's the end of the movie. Yeah, credits roll. But in that, and that is when I say that that is not a criticism, at all. It really no, works. No, no. It really works, and it yeah. makes him different. Yeah, like like I said, the, the set design's great on this. I love the colors. Like every scene isn't a constant. It's not like you know if you watch. Oh, I do a show for Criterion Connection. We did something called the Three Colors Trilogy, and mm-hmm. every shot like has a red in it. Every shot has blue mm-hmm. in it. And it's like this movie, it's like, 
You, you don't have the... It's not always red. I loved Helga's apartment. She had that giant seashell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, cool set design. The killer's outfit's cool looking. It's unique. It's very love, it's very I, unisex. I, I wonder love, why. I love the gloves with the zipper. <gasps> with the zipper. I love that. The brown trench coat's an interesting Ooh, choice. Oh, I and, hate the coat, but I love the gloves. Uh, even the Helga's... Outside Helga's apartment building... Is the, the paintings, mm-hmm. which are really weird paintings. They're creepy. Creepy paintings. Why would you live there? But mm-hmm. they're essential. They're very essential. And the fact that in that scene, when he's walking to save Helga, there is the biggest freaking clue mm-hmm. in that scene. And you don't notice it because the paintings are all faces and different. Like, and there's faces and creepiness. Like, you just assume it's part of, you know... When they do the reveal, like, they at near the end, they do replay it, and they have, like, the character open their eyes a little more. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting goosebumps well, thinking I was, about it. I took a note saying how harsh the lighting was in that scene introducing that character. I'm like, wow, that lighting on her is harsh. Well, now I know why, because they're really trying to accentuate, like, that the she's ghostly. Not the no, she's very ghostly. Yeah. And it makes you think, is she a ghost? <laughs> but, like, she's not a ghost. But, like, just, like, the fact that that, that shot just made it gives me a chill. Just, like, oh, man, that's so well done. Yeah, the cinematography in this movie is fantastic. It's above the story, it's probably the best thing about the movie. I mean, the story is also very intricate, and just as a general mystery, the themes aside, it's, it's a general mystery, everything makes sense. Everything is intricate. Maybe not the random redhead daughter. I guess she's intricate to, uh, to, to take them to the school, but did she have to kill lizards? That was kind of weird no, to me. I didn't like that scene. I'm just saying, that was like when he like the dad slaps the daughter I- i'm sorry i'm getting a little tangent <laughs> i'm just like she starts licking her lips and you're like there needs to be a girl? sequel there needs to be a sequel about her and how she's now a serial killer yeah deep red too because she has red hair deeper red like i'm just like yeah the deepest red the deepest red uh, i'm just like it's her why Ugh. is she weird that is the only thing about the movie i don't get is like why did they make her so Mm-mm. weird just so she can seem demented and draw a similar yeah. picture. Well, one detail I did like with this killer is whenever they murdered someone, they played that song. Oh my god, that that the child singing oh, the yeah. la 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 that, song. That's the I thought that card. was a really yeah, it was an but interesting. But also when she's set, when she's setting up or he's setting up, we don't know the the little knickknacks thing. They play that that great. I think it's Profondo Rosa. I think that's what the title is. You know the it's the deep red theme. Uh, <laughs> that is so good. Yeah, they play it and they play it over that panning shot. And that's my favorite shot in this movie is yeah. when they do the panning over. And the... it looks so, like Amazon. We watched we watched our versions. We watched was the Amazon Prime version. They must have done the the HD version because it looked amazing. It looked really good for being from 1975. Um, and, and like I said about the score is, while Suspiria played the theme over and over and over and beat you over the head with it, and then we said Tenebrae is kind of like a movie that's like, they rarely use it. Mm-hmm. I think this movie uses the theme the right amount. It's the theme and then progressive prog rock in between. Oh, that really th- gnarly. When they reveal jamming, another great shot. Another great shot is the skeleton reveal, and, <laughs> yeah. and then it zooms, kind of zooms in on Marcus, and the flashlight shining yeah. on his face. 
It looks so good. And they had that cool, like, prog synth thing Yeah, going. yeah, I'm like, man, I, I need to buy that. the Deep Red soundtrack. I know. Really good. Let me get that stuff on vinyl. Let's talk about what everyone wants to hear about. Anyone that likes horror, they want to know about The Kills. The Kills. What, what do we say? What is every episode we say? Is it What's the kill count? The murder rate. The mur- What's the murder rate in this this uh, this movie? So, the murder rate of Deep Red is six kills. One fake out. One fake out, six kills. Yes. It's 104 minutes was the cut that we watched. So, that is one kill per 17 minutes. Although, they don't happen consecutively like that. Are we like counting that. the lizard? No, I'm not counting the lizard. Oh, wait, the, lizard the lizard wasn't dead. The lizard was still moving. The lizard was still moving. Um... Argento had said that the lizard was not harmed. They took the needle out. It was practical. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> the first kill is literally the first minute, but then if we're not counting the flashback scene, the first kill is within 11 minutes. Also, I want to talk about before the kill, I forgot to mention that it's very impressive about this movie is they introduced the protagonist 12 minutes in the movie. You meet Marcus for the first time when Helga's being attacked by the killer. It's the first time you see him, and that's 11 minutes in. Usually you want to introduce that protagonist immediately. Well, I love the opening scene, the Christmas scene. Yes. It was gorgeous. Crisp whites, bright reds, Christmas. It innocence. was that really low, re- yeah, innocence, that really low shot, ground level. And you're like, oh, let's just give you a nice little movie. <laughs> and then... It's not about murder at all. Death and then a theme hits with the credits. Oh, my God. My body, like... The hairs on my arm right now are sticking up, just hearing that score immediately. And you're like, oh, this is not going to be Grandma's favorite movie. So it opens with a very quick death off camera. Quick kill. You see a child. It might be a boy. It might be a girl. You don't know. Iconic, though. Yeah. I love that shot. Yeah. And you don't see who gets killed. So there's a mystery already. No, and you don't know if it's a flashback, if it's current. And then we go to the press conference, and we meet Helga. She's a psychic. Yeah, and they start talking about telepath and telekinesis. You're like, oh, what's this movie going to be? It's intriguing, because mm-hmm. you're like, what is telekinesis? <laughs> so Helga's like, I was, like, I was, like uh, with Helga, she has this borderline kind of, like, psycho, like, she's like... Like a psychic ability. Yeah, and she's also like, but also, is she faking it? Right, and you don't know that, but then she kind of has this outburst where she's reciting something and cut to a little later, she's in her apartment, the killer's in her apartment, she gets... With like a, a hatchet or a cleaver or something. Marcus, who is our protagonist, is in the courtyard outside of the apartment because he is Helga the psychic's neighbor. He's in the courtyard with his drunk friend, Carlo. Marcus hears Helga scream. He runs up to save the day. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's too <laughs> late. She's dead. She's like halfway out of this window. And that's our first on-camera kill. To me, it's not the iconic kill, but it's the iconic kill that's on your poster and stuff. Your non-spoiler kill, I should say. No, and then while he is up in her apartment, he sees out the window someone running away from the scene, and it's someone in a brown trench coat. Yeah. So now that's his... It's uh, the evidence that he can it's tell. It's the evidence that he has to tell someone. It's not much to go on, but they're wearing a brown trench that's, coat. That's the glass slipper. And like, like, I, I, like I'll say this, if you notice with the kills, there's not many of them, but they're all essential. They're all a puzzle piece that is kind of 
like while the killer is trying to ki- kill off the puzzle piece so they don't find them, it creates another breadcrumb right. for them to follow. The killer is always one step ahead of Marcus. But that step creates a different alternative step for Marcus to find the way. Eventually, yes. they'll find who finds the way. So along the way, he does meet Dr. Don, Dr. Donald Sutherland. Yes, Beardy. Beardy, who is a psychiatrist who is friends with Helga. He was at the press conference earlier in the movie. Yes. They meet up. Also, Jana, who is the journalist, the actress from Tenebrae, Daria. She shows up at Helga's apartment trying to get the scoop. So eventually, Marcus gets a lead on this folklore house of the screaming ha- the children. The house of screaming child. Yeah, so he gets this lead from the psychiatrists. He gets the lead, uh, the psychiatrist and old old friend, that old guy. That was just like it's a folklore tale, and you never hear from that guy ever again. Because there was three at the conference. There was uh, Beardy, uh, Helga, and old guy. An old guy just he's kind of like tells him about the folklore, but I feel like it was more of a demonstration than a press conference. But yes. you get the you get the gist. There was it's a some, lot. Of, there was a it lot was of a weird. conference. There was a lot it was of a weirdos psychic, in that audience. It was a psychic slash telepath conference yeah. in this gorgeous opera house. It was like a Comic Con panel. Before, <laughs> right uh, before, before. Comic Con was a thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that guy just kind of disappears. The old guy. Yeah. Well, Marcus gets this lead about this folklore, and then it cuts to this lady's house who we've never seen before, but it turns out she's the writer of the folklore. The killer is now at this lady's house. She finds that that hanging doll, like the hanging baby doll, and I'm like, I would have left the house immediately. (laughs) Yeah, and there's just birds, like, everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. There's a bird. I'm going to leave. Yeah. I'll leave a window open. But no, no. So, unfortunately, this writer gets killed very aggressively. She gets her head bashed into a porcelain wall in the bathroom. And then the killer turns on the hot water, dunks her head in it, and essentially just burns her facial skin off. And drowns her. You could just drown her. Drowned her enough that she was still conscious when she fell on the floor and she could write her little message in the steam. So, she was still alive, but... Oof, those wounds. The message on the steam, which is another puzzle piece that yeah. Marcus don't find, but uh, Beardy finds. Yes. And also, uh, my favorite... It's such an awkward scene. My he- favorite part of the scene, he gets the hunch. I gotta get the hunch in my stomach. And he turns on the hot water, and it takes him like a minute to figure it out. They have great and- plumbing in that and town. Then, and then the old lady's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why is Stop turn- wasting the water. Yeah, stop wasting the hot water. <laughs> But did you notice he never turned it off when he left? No, no, no. He was like, bye. He was like, bye. <laughs> yeah, he it left, was so awkward. He left that poor woman. That's what I thought. That woman, the old lady, she's the killer. I know. You left my hot water on? She got on that bus really fast before the killer showed up. Oh my gosh. It's just, I'm just like. Too funny. Dr. Don, the psychiatrist. He gets his for that. He gets he's his next. He gets his comeuppance. For the hot but water. But it's kind of a fake out because you get the distracting, mechanical, <laughs> yeah, terrifying doll. Yes. The iconic doll, just, which <laughs> I love. Like, I love that. How it runs. It's so, like, unnatural for Ugh. a doll to run. It makes you think, is well, it yeah. possessed? Yes. What's going on? It is. It is. Is it Chucky? Helga's psychiatrist friend, Dr. Don. Beardy. 
he is distracted by the toy and then the killer throws him into a fireplace bashes his teeth out yeah and then there's that cool pov shot he gets stabbed in the back of the neck it's my favorite i think it's one i think it's my favorite kill the uh an execution pun intended it's my favorite kill, execution-wise. So, while this is all happening, Marcus has found the house where Carlo grew up. We don't know it's Carlo. Right. He tr- traced the folklore to this house. And what is this house? Because this is based on the the, um, the flashback. I don't feel like that ha- living room would be in this house. Right. It was a very Mediterranean-looking house from the exterior, but that opening scene was a very like colonial, yeah, midwestern. I I will say McMansion. I, was, I, was, I was very confused with like why is he in this? Yeah, house? that didn't. I unless mean, this is obviously unless it's an orphanage, but no, he wasn't. Yeah, we'll get into that. No, uh, but like you know, and you get that. I will girl. agree. <laughs> I will agree. Yes, that interior did not seem like it would be in that home. I would give a crap. It's all about what's under that drywall, right? Marcus picks up this drywall. He sees... He sees that kid with, like, uh, the knife. The drawing of the kid with the knife and the monster. And it's kind of like, oh, my God. The Just kid. gruesome paintings that yeah. a child did. And it makes sense with the music. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's this kid grown up. And as I said earlier about the cinematography is... Uh, that's not all the picture. And I love that. I love that's not all the picture. And you're just like, maybe you shouldn't have done that. I feel like it kind of gives away that there's... It bugged more. me when he picked at it and he just picked at it with his nail. Just pick up a piece of wood well, and like scrape. Eventually, and it was what? a while. The last didn't work out because he hurt right. his hands. Right. And then he got knocked out. He wakes up and Gianna's there outside mm-hmm. the house burning. And you're like, Gianna's right. killer? It's red herring. Uh, Spoiler. Pretend it because deep red. Deep red herring. Yes. Oh uh, yeah, we're going to have so many puns today. Um, and you're like, oh, 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 is she? Yeah, because she kind of went away for a bit. And there's also this little thing, like it, everything kind of feels off. And how's this killer know these people? And you think the the scoop. Mm-hmm. She's following the scoop. She's just. And, and, and then he also says, when he's and she's to, smart too. And she also also talks, when he's talking to the cop when he's like, yeah, do you know her and stuff like that? He's like, there's something. Did you remember anything? There's something off about this. And the audience doesn't know about the mirror. Is it someone on the inside that does it? Was it Gianna that changed, like, the evidence or something like that? Classic red herring. Yes, deep red herring. But that's not the red herring. She is not the killer. Turns out it's, as we think, it's Carlo. Carlo. The drunk friend. Also, if you go on Wikipedia, it says says his gay friend. Yes. Which is interesting. I didn't know that. Earlier in the film, when Marcus went to Carlo's mother and Martha, and she said oh, yeah. he's at this person's house, he goes to this person's house, Marcus hesitates because I think he's homophobic. We'll get to that. He hesitates, walks away, comes back, and then he sees Carlo is there. So I, I guess I think I blanked down that scene. It's super quick. <clears throat> yeah, I might have went to go to the It's a really quick that. scene, and I think it might be another option for a red herring. Yeah. Uh, Carlo... Uh, he's hysterical. Cops find out about this. Well, right before that, we get a fake out. A fake out kill. Yeah, oh, yeah. Marcus goes to where Carlo is. Jana's also there. She gets stabbed in the side. Marcus runs away. And I'm thinking, being a fan of Scream, oh, is she Billy Loomis right now? Is Uh, she faking this injury? She's old skeet. (laughs) She's in on it. But no, (laughs) 
Marcus confronts Carlo. Carlo doesn't really admit to anything, but doesn't deny anything. But there's also... But then he scampers out the window. Because because now the cops show up. Right. And then he runs and runs and runs. Runs over a fence. Jumps over a fence. He's going to get away, and then they cut to a dump truck, and it has like a hook hanging out from the back, and his leg gets a stuck in it. giant hook. His leg gets stuck in it, he's dragged across the street, and his head hits a curb. The, gu- the dump truck, after like a mile, is like, what's going on? And then they just, they, they swerve, <laughs> and then they stop, and then the guy's like, oh, Carl's like, thank God, oh, I guess. Oh, gosh, I And then a car, it. tire over the freaking head, Carlo, <laughs> dead, at the age of who gives a damn. I uh, laugh so hard. I I clap. I did. I didn't clap. I did the. I did like a one clap. Like yes. Um, it was comical. You think he's the killer, but then there's little, little little things. At no point has this movie this killer ever used a gun, and Carlo has a gun on him. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking to yourself, that's not the mo. No, that's no, not no. The MO. That, no. And, and he's also very. Well, Marcus is one step frantic. behind. He's at least one step behind me because I know, and I guess most of the viewers know that he was not. That Carlo was in the scene. That Carlo was there when the brown-coated person left Helga's yeah. murder scene. Yeah, that's one thing I want to say about the movie. That there is a kind of maybe an issue is the fact that it's pretty easy to figure that one out. Carlo could have walked off frame because there's a shot where the the brown coat person walks. And then you see Carlo on the other side yeah, walking. Yeah, same shot. And you could just, that could have been like, oh, oh, I forgot that because you're focused on that. You uh-huh. forgot that Carlo's in the background. Yeah. Carlo could just left the freaking scene and not be like, oh, it's another, um, well, I think a it's such a dying or whatever he says. It's such a quick scene, but it's a clue. Yeah. Same with the mirror and painting scene in the be- beginning. It's so quick, yeah. but it's a clue. Yeah. If Carla was not in the scene when they heard the scream, you could have had a better twist, I think. You could have had a better, like, revelation. Right. But the fact that, like, he says the line about a whore screaming, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I don't know what he says. And he starts laughing, something whatever. Something misogynistic. Yeah. Something misogynistic and drunk. But if he was not in that scene, if he walked away, you could think he walked away and killed her. But the only reveal would be, like, oh, he was in the, like, when he was looking at the, the raincoat guy. Right. So Marcus yeah. comes to this conclusion, Sorry. then he... In the courtyard, and they do like a cool like spin camera movement on him. Gets really cool like shot of the revelation, the classic right. camera spin. Marcus solves it, but he doesn't really solve it by finding a missing piece of information. More of common sense. Like, oh, he was... It's common sense, and he realizes it the second that the killer is right up on him. So the killer is... The killer is Martha. Martha. Oh, sorry, not it's that Carlo's Martha. It's Carlo's eccentric mother, the former actress. Yes. She's delusional and, and resentful. And she's a ghost. That her husband wanted her to stay home and put her career on hold. You know. So the scene in the very beginning is her killing Carlo's dad. And then Carlo's dad pulls out the knife and he's just like, I guess I'll toss it to the boy. Toss it, it to weird, the kid. It was a weird acting choice. I don't know. But then the boy picks it up, and the kid's like, oh, I had a slight issue with the flashback. Do we need the flashback? I guess so you have the kid holding the bloody knife. And like, oh, a kid's holding a bloody knife. But the whole scene with them in the kitchen, maybe kind of just cut that, because she killed her husband. I assume the husband was a dirtbag. 
You know what I mean? I already assume that he's dead. He's a piece of shit. Get stabbed. Boom. Done. We don't need a whole scene of dialogue. I didn't get that at all from that scene. Oh, you didn't? I got from the scene of the flashback that her husband wanted her to put her career on hold. And she was being, she was a bit out of sorts during this fight. It was more of a conversation, really. And you could tell that she was being shaky. She was on edge. And you don't just have a conversation with someone, then stab them. But then, but, but then you gotta think, how's this make her a murderer? Like, to kill other people, like drowning with scalding water. But then again, you gotta think, is that her or is that Carlo? Because now you have the idea of, there's two killers. But no. you know what I mean? Like, how does stabbing your husband cause you to be able to just, I'm gonna murder everyone. And make a doll out so of it. So Helga, Helga had that flashback vision. Yeah. So she was having this vision witnessing this murder. Yeah. The person that did the murders was Martha. Yeah. Martha didn't want Helga going to the authorities I, I, I and ratting that. her out for this that. previous murder. So she killed her. I understand, but someone that's not a mass murderer, like 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 a serial killer... Very intricate kills. Did she have to she's have... She's delusional and eccentric and she's an actress. Oh, okay. She's about theatrics. Good, good call. That was a good call. So I was like, why'd you... Why'd the doll if you're trying to cover your tracks? Anyway. But the only good... The great thing... Like, I just... I don't know. Like, maybe don't have the kitchen scene and just have the dad be a fucking just like... You know, your mom... You know, I don't know. She could just stabbed him. Boom. One, two, three. It's quick. I don't know. It felt like a long flashback. It explains a lot, and it's not just, oh, the husband was shitty and abusing her. Like, we needed to know that she was not of sane mind, and she's still not of sane mind, so she's killing people. But she's killing people, so that's already unsane. Right. We don't need a flashback. Tell us that, though. It's more so saying that the first murder was not a defensive murder. The first murder was... Because she is not sane. Yeah. And then the flashback ends and immediately she takes the freaking hatchet or whatever. I think it was a knife. I don't know. But she like hits the painting immediately. Like the audience is like, whoa, whoa. Because you're in this like, oh, it's flashback time. That's kind of like the tension's a little low. Okay. We can relax. Oh, no. And then it's a big chase scene. And then her necklace gets comically stuck in the elevator. A really thick, sharp necklace. Yeah. And, uh, well, her her cap got decayed. Her cap got decayed. To quote uh, Michael P. Scott. You know, the elevator goes down and, you know, the necklace is, like, cutting her throat. And, and, and I'm assuming decapitated her. I assume we don't see it, but you see the ne- necklace go down. And, all, well, well, you know she's decapitated because the whole necklace is dangling now. Mm-hmm. Not broken. And blood, and I love, like, just, like, that. They, they, the camera just stays on it as it's going down. It just stays on it. Mm-hmm. Pull of blood, boom, six kills, all red. Right, and Marcus is just left staring into that pool of blood. Yes. And I can't help but think he's just staring and thinking the meaning and closure that he's been looking for this entire movie, he still was denied. He doesn't get that, aha, I killed you. It was kind of like... It just happened. He he did press the button. But it's luck. He did, but she also is the one that surprised him. Yeah. It's a luck kill. Right. I mean, like... It's like like in Speed when, like, uh, Dennis Hopper looks up and then that thing hits him and cuts his head off. 
like most typical Jalo films, it's not really solved by deduction. It's yeah. just the killer just decided to reveal herself at that time. Yeah. Because she was the, he was the only one left, so screw it, you know. I did want to go back to that scene of all of the toys and also the Christmas scene. I think this movie has a little bit to say about Oedipal and Freudian imagery. I think the mother is living this dream where she thinks that her son is in love with her and that it should just be the two of them. She's thinking of a folklore. She's living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. The, the childhood trauma messes up Carlo. So that family's, uh, that's, uh, that's gonna be an interesting sitcom of a, of a family show. Like any mystery, you can kind of compare it to, like, Hansel and Gretel. He's kind of finding all the breadcrumbs. But I think that this one... At the end, it's a witch. And this one, they straight up reference a folklore, and then Marcus is Hansel or Gretel just trying to put together the pieces. And in his mind, his fantasy is he is, he's, he's the prince, he's the hero, he's... He's the big Sherlock Holmes in his fantasy. Yeah, and with Carlo and also his mom, Deep Red explores aspects of childhood trauma, especially with that opening, and he's been living with that for his entire life, and then she's doing it again. And yeah, I think maybe he's drinking all the time to hide something. You know, you first see him, he's drunk. Usually if you drink, sometimes you're running away from something or you're hiding something or... He's never home. He's staying with his friend. He's out late at night. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it has a lot to say about childhood trauma and Freudian theory and... Watching your mom kill your dad and Mm -hmm. your dad comically throwing the knife to you and you're like... (laughs) And you're wearing like... Throw it to him. Oh, he just like... Drops uh, it. uh, uh, And then the boy's wearing the high socks you're like, Mom, why'd you dress me like this? I get it. That was how kids were dressed back then. But anyway, now I know that you said you you pinned at it this entire episode about gender stereotypes. You know how you think the character is um, not the most accepting of right. characters. The main character, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Well, I will start off by, by saying that I did not care for this movie as much as Tenebrae. And I know people say, like, this is the best. That's what critics say. This is the best Jalo. Since I had just watched Tenebrae, then I watched this. I love Tenebrae. One of the reasons that I like that one a lot more is because I did not care for this protagonist at all. I think my thing, why I think it's considered the best Jalo film, the best Jalo film, not best film, best Jalo film is... Mm -hmm. It's not about the main character. In my, I was not following the character. I was following the story. But now that you're saying this, now I'm thinking, okay, what about the protagonist? Well, Do I like I don't like that much. So about with Jalo films, nice there are two types of Jalo films. I mean, there are many types, but you can split them into two types. It's M Jalo, which is male centric Jalo, or F Jalo, which is female centric. This is male Jalo. It's starring a male as the protagonist. And with M. Jalo, a lot of the characteristics of the protagonists are the same. They're usually a white male, early to mid-30s, well-groomed, no facial hair. They're a modern man. Cloth hair. They're all the same. Yeah. They usually are a troubled outsider or a tourist, sometimes a foreigner, trying to solve the murder. Or a man of the arts. And they find, well, Dario Argento, yes. It's either he's self-referential and it's a writer or it's a musician. Or a ballerina. 
Oh, that's not really reflected in Dario, is it? He's a dancer. He loves the dance. He's a dancer. Argento dance. (laughs) And the killer almost always reveals themselves to the protagonist rather than him discovering the truth on his own. Yes. Almost always. The protagonist usually just stumbles into this. Dario Argento's film from 1970, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, set the template for M. Giallo films, and then his first films were all male Giallo films. Male-centric. All the same. And I feel like, and this is not just Dario Argento's Giallo films, we're also talking about, like, Phenomena, and you're talking about, uh, uh, Suspiria, and the female character ones are usually the most memorable ones, in my opinion. I think they're, they're, they're better crafted films. Story, as a story and protagonist-wise, better crafted, but as a female lead. And Dario Argento's not just Giallo films, but his films in general. The protagonist, Marcus, sucks. He's extremely sexist. When he meets Jana, one of the first things that he says to her is women are gentler. They're weaker. He just says it like you can think it, but you don't have to say it. (laughs) And then he says, I quote, some things which you just cannot do seriously with a liberated woman. And it kind of, okay, now, now you're saying these things now that the flashback is really essential. Because she's like, Martha's like, she wants to be an independent woman. She wants to do more. The husband's like, no, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of reflecting on him. Like, oh man, now, now you're just terrible. Well, Marcus meets Jonna and she's just being playful with him and flirting. And I mean, it seems kind of annoying in the movie, but that's because it's a bit over the top. But he just is rude to her, but then he uses her because she knows more than he does. And then at one point she challenges him to a wrestling match and she beats him and he gets huffy about it. His ego was bruised. She did save him in the fire. And it makes me think, because near the end you don't see that much sexism with him. But there's also a lot of stuff with the relationship that was cut. I wonder if there's redeeming things that make him seem like, stop being a piece of shit, guy. When he hears Helga scream, he dashes in like trying to be the hero. But then he fails to catch the murderer. He's not really smart enough to put everything together on his own. So then he kind of uses Jana because she's a journalist and she's intuitive and she knows things. And then he's playing the role of the damsel in distress, which is typically what happens in the F Jalo movies or the female centric Jalo films. He's put in this vulnerable position, but his pride is too big to just say he needs help. He's just trying to act like he's the hero. Yeah. Trying to act like a hero. Kind of a flawed character. But now you said like you don't always see that redemption a little bit. Because he doesn't solve the case. He's lucky that she ran into the gate, the great the the elevator grate. She's she, he's lucky. His pride never really kind of, yeah, that you say look into that red. Maybe that's his pride. That's just like Yeah. He doesn't get to be the hero. I mean Gianna's okay, right? She's fine. The doctor says she's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. I and like that. I like that they do have that scene in there. Yeah. Um. And we don't know if he gets the girl, so he doesn't really. <laughs> he get... probably doesn't because he's such a jerk. Well, we, we don't know because she has interest in him. We don't know because he don't show anything to us. So it's like he really does he not has win. Too much pride. He does I... not win anywhere in this. He's no. Just like, well, I guess the murder's over. 
I mean, I did a little research on gender stereotypes in slasher films, and I found this study that looked at films from 1980 to 1993. They counted the number of seconds that males and females display fear in horror films, and if you watched 30 films, you would see a total of almost five hours of women in states of fear and terror, and then you would see men in the same state for less than one hour. Hmm. There's also one thing I noticed about the killer of Martha. Even in the kills, the women are treated much... There's only one male death. Right. That's by her. Exactly. He dies kind of like he gets bashed in the head and he gets stabbed in the throat. Kind of a quick bleed out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This woman's got... One woman's Which is typical... Put, choking on glass. It's like a typical killer. Oh, you fight and then you stab him. Okay. Yeah. But then you get... Scalding a stab hot water. thrown through a window, head bashed in, scalding hot water. Like for someone that killed her husband, uh, she's really angry against women. I mean, females in horror films they get singled out constantly, and they're victimized in special ways in horror movies. Tales old as horror movies. Yeah. Just watch Friday the Thirteenth. Actually, you know what? Friday the Thirteenth is kind of even on that one. So There's and- a lot of male deaths in that. So in the end, even though Marcus is an, an unlikable protagonist, he's still being shown as the hero. I'm seeing him more as the survivor. He's not really a hero. He didn't save anyone. Literally, he tried to save Helga, failed. He went to to the uh, the whole thing with the the writer. Didn't save her. Uh, didn't save Beardy. Didn't. You don't think that after the credits roll that he's taking credit for solving this murder? Oh, he definitely is. Exactly. He's telling the cops, <laughs> I did everything. I and went to the think, house. And, and it makes you yes. think, is this a fantasy of his? This is a right. whole movie of fantasy because the cops are barely in it. You mean tell me the cop never was like, hey man, what are you doing? Are you investigating your own? We're the police. Never like that. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird, maybe a no. fantasy dream, like a, like a dream of his. I don't know. He wishes that it was a dream of his. Yeah. His pride, though. I can't. So you're not a big fan of Marcus. No, Marcus can go. Well, I didn't know that. Uh, okay, now I'm starting to think about this movie. <laughs> right, so when I told you that we were going to discuss this and that gender stereotypes was one of the main themes that stood out to me. Originally, I was going to have one of my friends, one of my female friends, be on the podcast. Then once I realized there was so much to say in regards to gender stereotypes, I wanted to hear. You might as well have a male perspective. Right, I I wanted to hear a male perspective to see if it was that obvious to a male. I didn't... I noticed he said those things, but I thought it was like, it's a product of the time. Back then, what women were always kind of treated like... Not second class, but second class. You right. know, like, it's the 70s. I assume that was just product of the time. Like, the honeymooners. Why I ought to basically threaten with his wife. But everyone thought it was funny, right? I thought it was just the times. And also Italy. So I was kind of, like, naive. <laughs> you know, I was like, is this It doesn't it make is? it okay, though, right? I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's okay, but I just chalked it up as it. This that, that did not age well. Yeah. That's it didn't. It didn't age well, that. but also I think it was overtly sexist. Huh. But I'm exactly. glad I got your opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, I got your opinion. See, this discussion here. This, this, this exactly. is what we do on Jalo of the Month Club. We discuss things. So for Flavor of the Month, this was a hard one for me. 
since I'm a big advocate for female-fronted films and gender equality, it was a bit tough for me to find movies that I felt were a good double feature with this one. I'm very intrigued by the difference in M. Jalo films and F. Jalo films, and I can't wait to talk about the female-fronted films. So I have a bit of a mismatched group of movies here. So if you wanted to go first and I let me two. know what your flavor of the month is. I have two. Once I'm not going to do Tales from a Crypt because I couldn't think of one. But I have two movies. One to be topical. I mostly focus mine on the idea of childhood. This one's most about childhood trauma and the mother-son dynamic. Both are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. One, I'm not saying it's a great movie, but joker joker just came out yes they'll be topical there's a there's interesting dynamic that i kind of think there's probably a lot of delayed scenes with with the mother and the son and it kind of leads to why he's got his tics because of her and stuff like that but the main one is i think would be a good double feature is psycho alfred hitchcock psycho Mm -hmm. it's got the mother it's got the heart it's a a twist because it's you think the mother is the killer spoiler for a 50 a near 60 year old movie but uh uh the mother is not the killer uh it's actually norman is the killer her son so it's kind of a flip on who's the killer is uh it's you know is it mother no it's it's norman bates you can't hurt a fly apparently classic and psycho not well psycho not two, the remake. psycho two and three are pretty good so you know but psycho are a good the original yes well with hitchcock I'm not sure if I mentioned this during cinematography, but Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy has really similar cinematography to Deep Red. So I think if you're looking for a similar look and feel, Hitchcock's Frenzy would be a good one. Never seen it, so. And you could do a triple feature. You could do Psycho, just sandwich it. Yes. Psycho, Deep Red, Frenzy. Yes. That'd be cool. Yeah, so mine are a bit all over the place i apologize i'm intrigued i want to know you have not told me i went for one that was a similar aesthetic look wise it's a film from 2018 called piercing never heard of it it's not giallo but it looks like a giallo film okay it stars mia wizakowska she was in stoker i love that movie and it also stars it's so good. Never seen it. I'm putting that on my flavor of the month too. If you haven't seen Stoker, watch that. It's like moody and it's about family dynamics. Love that one. I um, mean, it also stars Christopher Abbott, who was in Girls, the show Girls, the movie It Comes at Night. He looks like Kit Harrington. Yeah. Yeah, they, they look very similar. But Christopher Abbott plays a man that checks into a hotel because he wants to commit the perfect murder. And there are some gender flipping dynamics in that movie, which would be kind of interesting with Deep Red in a very positive way. So Piercing from 2018, it's available on VOD, it's available on Amazon. Watch that similar aesthetic to a lot of Jalo films and to Deep Red. Again, all over the place. I wanted to put a positive spin on this icky feeling that Deep Red gave me. Silence of the Lambs. So there is... Puts the lotion on the skin. Puts the lotion on the skin. There's Clarice, which she is... Basically not treated... A bit gender fluid. She's treated bad, but... She's treated like women can't move up as much as men Mm -hmm. can in that department. 
Yeah, so I think that, I mean, Silence of the Lambs is one of the greatest films ever made. And I saw it last year for the first time. <laughs> That's Not- another movie that I really love. And if you haven't seen it, it's on Criterion. Yes, they have a great, great, they have a great Criterion version. And it may be streaming elsewhere, but 1991, Silence of the Lambs, you have to see that one. It has a lot to say about gender stereotypes. Very good movie. And then the third one that I have is Blow Up, which actually stars the lead from this film, David Hemmings. I'll try to forgive him and give him some viewer. That's a a Criterion movie, too. The plot for this one is a London photographer who spends most of his time photographing fashion models thinks he may have photographed something far more sinister. A murder. If you liked the lead in this, or if you wanted to see him in a different role, and it's another murder mystery, Blow Up is a good one. Then I had one more. It's The Fifth Chord from 1971. It's really visually striking. It has modern architecture, just like Deep Red does. And I think it has a very similar aesthetic. It's Italian giallo. Cool. I never heard of a piercing. I never seen... uh... Blow Up. Blow, blow up, which I checked it. It is on Criterion. Awesome. And then the fifth chord. The fifth chord, yes. I believe that has a release from Arrow, so it has a really nice. Also, by the way, Deep Red is uh, that's an Arrow movie. Yeah, it is. Arrow is actually currently having a buy one get one sale for the month of October. We aren't sponsored by Arrow. But We're please, not sponsored, but please, but please, please Arrow. Yes. There are so many Jalo yes. films that I want to see that are on Arrow. And it's buy one, get one for the month of October, so go buy some things from them. Criterion Criterion does a show called where where directors go and people just go, actors and stuff like that, they go into their closet and just take a bunch of movies. And uh, you should do that and invite us to it. So we can just take a bunch of movies (laughs) from your closet. The podcasters. Please bring podcasters on the show. Criterion closet will be the Arrow Attic. Arrow, I'm just going to Arrow Attic. Ooh, I love that. But yes, Arrow, we love them, but... You know, I don't have unlimited money to buy yeah. every movie I want, and I oh. want every Jalo film. Shutter, Pangoria. <laughs> we love we love Shutter, but Shutter is five dollars a month, and we can uh, handle that. Uh, what's some some other sponsors? Fangoria. Meundies, Meundies dot com. They sponsor us. Blue Chew. I don't even know what these things are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, thank you for that. I don't even know what these sponsors are, but thanks. The next episode that I have of Jalo of the Month Club is going to be more musical themed. I'm going to interview Claudio Simonetti of Goblin. Lucky. And conduct a deeper dive into the live score of Deep Red. That is nifty. I wish I could be there. Yeah, it'll probably be a short one, but I think it's going to be a very interesting one. And it's my first interview on the podcast. If you're going to the Claudio Simonetti's Goblin Show in Baltimore, let me know. I have stickers and pins. I would love to give the listeners all kinds of fun stuff. So just let me know. Wade, do you have anything to plug? Yes. Been a while since I've been on the show. Uh, as I mentioned before, my band has a, an EP that was coming out. Guess what? It came out called Song When We Rain. Meteor King is the band name. It's on Spotify, iTunes, 
uh, you know, uh, Pandora even. You have all kinds of things, you know, Bandcamp, you can buy a physical CD and you get a digital copy for free. So there you go, uh, Minkadish Podcast, this first week of November, 250th episode of Minkadish Podcast. It's also the five-year anniversary of Minkadish Productions. So go on youtube.com slash Minkadish Productions to find Criterion Connection. Uh, right now for Criterion Connection, we are doing the month of October, we're doing all horror movies. The first one we did was Vampire. The second one we did is Corridors of Blood. Uh, this 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 Wednesday we do Jingoku. There's going to be an episode that, I'm just going to say it, at the end of the month on YouTube.com slash Productions, Diana will be guest starring on Criterion Connection. Rosemary's Baby. Love it. <laughs> Go on YouTube, search that. Minkadish Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. So that's all stuff I do. So much stuff. I don't have time for anything anymore. <laughs> but I have enough time to watch watch Criterion. Watch Giallo films and talk to you and the audience. Love it. But you know what? I want to know what you think. Yeah, so our logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Matt's Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Thank you so much to Matt for this design. I've been using it on stickers at conventions and festivals. I've been using it on pins. It's been awesome. I've gotten a lot of great feedback, and I love seeing people send me photos of them wearing the pins. Oh, it just makes my day. Your art is awesome. Yeah. Our theme music, which is also awesome, is by musician Dream Division. Dream Division just had a new record come out, so look for that on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Yes, I'm going to check them out tonight. It's really cool. The artwork for that one is also really good. No, they have a new record. A lot of amazing people involved with this podcast. So you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. You can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. Thank you so much for listening. Happy October. Ooh. And see you next month on the Jollo of the Month Club. <laughs> <laughs>